Welcome to the Jackets Online Podcast. I'm Kelly Bologna with Jared Hollis. And, uh, we are going to talk about the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets football program and basketball when basketball rolls around. And pretty much anything else Georgia Tech uh, that's in the news this week, though. Everybody's still pretty upset. They're in the grieving process, basically different steps of that grieving process over the loss to number 10 Miami and what was probably one of the most heart-wrenching games coming just uh, four days after i mean four games after a, a heart-wrenching loss to tennessee in double overtime i i imagine it was just as bad on television as it was for me to watch it in person down in, in uh, sunrise for you uh, jared yeah definitely i mean especially just with it being two times already in one season i mean it's hard to think that we're not two plays away from being in the same position that they are right now yeah, I mean, it's interesting where Georgia Tech would probably be in the top 25 if they were undefeated right now and the mm-hmm. target that would be on Tech's back. And you'd be talking about how the Wake Forest game is a trap. It's a trap, everyone. But uh, <laughs> Even Kirk Herbstreit, I mean, he loves us. He's He was tweeting about us early on in the game. He tweeted about us during the Tennessee game. I mean, he's just he's high on Georgia Tech. And, I mean, it's hard it's hard not to see why. I mean, they, despite the two losses, I mean, if you kick out all that stuff, they, they do look like a good team, and they really are just two plays away from being on that next level. Well, and, you know, the thing is, the vibe I get from being around the team on a regular basis is they are believing in themselves as well. And the vibe I got from Paul Johnson today um, on Wednesday, talking to him, talking to some of the people around the program, talking to the players even um, over the last couple of days is, they're just really pissed off and ready to get past this Miami game and past the 12 bubble screens in a row and get on to, to Wake Forest and doing some big things. And the, the reality of things really is I, it's hard to imagine Miami, based on what I saw Saturday, going undefeated the rest of the year in ACC play. Um, I think so, too. So they have Virginia Tech. That'll probably be their their toughest challenge. They got to play at Virginia, which can be a little bit of a trap for people. Um, and you know, at the end of the day, and they get Syracuse this week, who could oh yeah, that's charged true. up after beating Clemson. So definitely, you know, the way I look at it is, if you can stay, if you can stay at one loss, that wins you the ACC Coastal nine out of ten years. Mm-hmm. So, like like Paul Johnson said, in in his ten years, only one team has ever gone undefeated in the coastal. So it's hard to believe that. I don't I don't really know if they're that team. No, and it, it certainly doesn't look like it. Mark Rick's track record certainly, even when he was winning at Georgia, they were not rolling through the conference. Typically, going undefeated, they would typically lose a game here and there. So it, it's hard for me to imagine that suddenly they're going to turn it on. They are not. Miami of 1988 or whatever, 1987 or 94 or whatever it was. Uh, sorry to the Miami fans listening. I'm sure they're still trolling <laughs> me right now uh, like they were on Twitter. But, yeah, I mean, one it's, it, it, it's uh, yeah, the guy with one follower. But, <laughs> you know, it, it's funny to me because what upset me, and it wasn't necessarily a fan thing, it was the attitude their fans had after – really laying an egg in a game when you're a top 10 team in the country at home and just getting outmatched for you know what uh 39 minutes and 56 seconds of a game basically yeah 
I mean, yeah, I'm not going to be the one to listen to the whole. We outgained you by 200 yards. You were dominated. I, I, I'm not going to believe all that. I mean, at well, the end of the day, away a, well, they took away a whole drive uh, in the in the third quarter because yeah, of the stupid the onside kick, kick that they had. Right. And I, I mean, at the end of the day, regardless of how many yards are gained for each team, it came down to that one play. Correct. And really, if you know the ball doesn't bounce off of Lamont Simmons' wrist and helmet. If it bounces off his wrist and hits him in the numbers or just flies out of bounds, Georgia Tech wins the game. If, you know, Brad Stewart comes up with a great catch, Georgia Tech wins the game. If Parker <laughs> Braun doesn't fall down on that one play, on the, run, on the option play to the right, on third down, they yep. score a touchdown probably on that play and put the yep. game away. I mean, it was that close, and that's, I think, what frustrated Paul Johnson after game, frustrated all the players because – to me, it was even closer than that Tennessee game because in the Tennessee game, they had two quarters of them dominating basically the football game. Tennessee in the second half coming back, right. you could feel the momentum shifting, and um, it wasn't like that at all on, on Saturday. And really, even some of the scoring plays Miami had were questionable. One, the one long touchdown pass was a pretty blatant uh, series of holding inside by their Miami Definitely. offensive line and. You know, it's hard to defend guys for that long period of time. So it's enough excuses at the end of the day. They should have come up with enough plays to win the game. And I think that, you know, it'll be interesting to see how uh, the the team responds here going into this Wake Forest game against a, a team that's a lot better than your mom and pop's Wake Forest. They've, they're very competitive. They remind me a lot of Duke. Um, sort of in the third or fourth year of David Cutcliffe where they became a tough out for people. Mm-hmm. And, um, scrappy on offense, defensively, very sound. Um, Wendell Dunn and Duke Edgefor are very talented up front for them. So those two ends can really kind of set the edge, and then they let the inside guys and the linebackers kind of clean things up. They have their own. If you remember Chase Alford from last year, they have a linebacker named Grant Dawson who reminds me a lot of Chase. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a former walk-on guy that, that's on scholarship now as their starting middle linebacker. Uh, Demetrius Kemp, who's one of the, the rover, he's a guy that Georgia Tech recruited a little bit, played with. Jabory Williams is another guy that's familiar, that's been there forever. So you kind of look at that front seven, and they have a lot of experience. But to me, where they kind of get into trouble, I think, is in their secondary. They have... One really talented free safety named Cameron Glenn, and then I think things kind of fall off a little bit after that. And mm-hmm. I think this is a game where you could see Georgia Tech attack them passing the football a little bit. It would it would be nice to see that after what was it five passes on Saturday? Yeah, it was only five passes. Um, but really, if you think about it, they took a quarter of whole passing opportunities out of the game because of the monsoon and the conditions. I mean, there were basically just mud puddles in the field and i'm sure marshall wants to air a few out i mean he had he, he threw for 55 yards on saturday and 48 of them were from one one pass to ricky june so you know he really didn't have a chance to sling it too much and I, i'd imagine that like you said it, it, it's a good opportunity this saturday to, to test his arm out yeah and uh, one of the things that paul johnson talked about on wednesday was jalen camp the young wide receiver wanting to get him involved in the offense and get him mm-hmm. Some touches. He hasn't been targeted, I don't believe, this season, which is kind of crazy considering he's playing, I would say, about 30% of the snaps right now wide receiver um, with with Ricky and Brad getting the other 
the other 70 or 68 or whatever you want to call them and exactly the yep. getting the rest so exactly I mean, you never know who could who could end up being a star i mean you see a perfect scenario of that with miami with uh with langham because you know he's he's a guy that not a lot of their fans were really talking about before florida state and then he comes and makes two game winning plays in a row so jalen camp could be that same person sure and that's happened before with you know, I mean, you have guys come out of the woodwork sometimes. Brad Stewart was a guy that kind of caught a lot of people by surprise when he started playing as a true freshman and kind of jumped Mike Summers into that starting job. So, I mean, it's one of those things I think that you will see throughout um, probably the rest of the season, them try to get some of these younger guys. Jerry Howard's another one that Paul Johnson mentioned uh, Wednesday that he would like to see more of. I agree with that. I don't understand why he didn't play him. Paul really didn't have an answer when I asked him about it. Yeah. Post game, he kind of was like, you know, shoot, I should have played him. I think he was scared that he was going to fumble in the rain. He was, and let's face it, in some of these games against teams that Paul Johnson has struggled against traditionally, like Virginia Tech and Miami, he gets very conservative in the second half a lot of times. Gets in a little bit of a shell, and. I think a lot of times that kind of backfires on them and they let teams get back in the game. Even Virginia Tech last year, as big a blowout as that was for three quarters, they let them back in the game in the fourth quarter. Definitely. And, Ended up being only a 10-point game at the end. Yeah, and so that's that to me is where, you know, if they need to figure out how to keep the, the kill switch down. And sometimes he's good at it. I mean, he, he held it down on North Carolina and Pitt. Um, and I, I would like to see that. A little bit more this week with Wake Forest, where they have an opportunity to get a good quality ACC win, and then set themselves up for Clemson game. That's you know talk about a trap playing Clemson coming off a loss at night in Clemson. That's about as hard of a task as I can imagine right now. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, one of the tech coaches told me this week. He goes, "It's kind of interesting how it's setting up to to." be that game for if georgia tech wins then you get clemson georgia tech's right on the edge of the top 25 and you have clemson there who just comes off this loss they're trying to get their relevance back and what a big game that would be for television and uh so it seems like things are kind of setting up for against georgia tech there i think in paul johnson's mind he would love to play that game at like 11 a.m at clemson but (laughs) they don't really do that anymore so uh you know, yeah, he'd definitely be down for that. That'll be like a 4 a.m. Uh, I get home at 4 a.m. kind of kind of game. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, it's if you've never been, it's very difficult to get out of Clemson after a game, and um, with what we have to do at writing and putting video and audio and all that stuff on jackets online after a game, it becomes very difficult to. Uh, to, to get out of there at a reasonable hour and get home, my wife was giving me a hard time about how I should get a hotel room. And I'm like, I'd have to drive, like, north up to Greenville. There's nowhere to stay between Clemson and Atlanta Yeah. that's worth staying, not driving, like, the extra hour home, even if I have to jack myself up on five-hour energy or whatever, like, to get through the drive. It's definitely going to be... It's definitely going to be, like you said, one of those get-home incredibly late games. I mean, 8 o'clock kickoff, it's gonna be it's gonna be a late one, but luckily Clemson's not too incredibly far. Definitely not Miami. No, uh, that was a that was a long weekend to uh, even mean even some of the other writers who are not Georgia Tech people by any stretch of the imagination were pretty shook up by uh, 
the way that game ended and <laughs> the sort of lingering effects of it. I think everyone had a little bit of a hangover on Sunday. I went personally to the beach and just kind of stuck my feet in the water and tried to relax because it was like I couldn't believe that I'd seen the same thing happen that happened, you know, the first game of the season on that Monday mm-hmm. night. So, But, uh, you know, all things being equal, um, it'll be interesting to see kind of where Georgia Tech is injury-wise uh, coming out of Miami. Brad Mitchell got hurt. Cravante Benson was probably the biggest injury in the game. He goes out and the offense sort of kind of can't find its way without him in the game. And uh, then, uh, you know, you lose uh, Sean Davis, the place kicker for the year, blew out his knee on a non-contact injury, just was uh, going to cover a kick return and just kind of fell over on the ground on the hash, um, mm-hmm. way away from the play, and poor kid blew out his knee. So nope. he's out for the year. Brent King will take over there. Um so you lose a little bit of range, too, there with, with Brenton. Brenton right now has only got about a 40-ish yard range. So, As much as I hate to, I, like, obviously, you want to see you want to see Georgia Tech get a touchdown when they get in the red zone. That was one of their emphasis this past week when they were preparing for Miami. But, you know, with that sack on second down and then the, the negative play on first down before the sack, it's – it sucked. It sucked to see them have to settle for a field goal there, but it was promising to see Brenton come in and be able to knock it down, even in those conditions and, and the pressure that had to be on his shoulders. Yeah, no, I mean it's um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens, uh, you know, this week and how. The one thing I did like seeing with Brenton too is his um, his kickoffs. He put air under the ball and kind of skied it and it allowed the return guy, the coverage guys, to get. A little bit better positioning to, to make tackles. I think that's something that's something you got to really watch this week. Greg Dortch um, is really dangerous for Wake Forest as a return guy. He returns kicks and punts for them, and he is their slot receiver. And he is the kind of classic guy that gives Georgia Tech trouble. Is ridiculously freshman, fast, right? Elusive. Yeah, he's a redshirt freshman for them, and he's basically their number one pass weapon uh, offensively, other than the tight end Cam Serenay. Uh-huh. So those are the two guys they try to kind of scheme to get the football. If you look at um, kind of the other guys on offense, Scott of Washington and Chuck Wade, the wideouts, they are not um, – they've had drops this year, been a little bit inconsistent. Um, and then the running backs, they kind of use a three-man rotation with Matt Colburn, Kay Carney, and, and then – a guy Georgia Tech recruited, um, well, they recruited Kate Carney, but they also recruited very heavily Arkeem Bird, who's down mm-hmm. in the Savannah area. And he uh, he's kind of given them that change of pace guy. He's a little more shifty, a little more dangerous. One of the guys that tends to give Georgia Tech's defense a little bit of trouble as well. So he's a guy to kind of keep an eye on. He's number five when he comes in the game. They usually try to figure out a way to get him the ball in space. Um, and that's where you can see Wake Forest. I mean, cause problems for defenses. I mean, they, like like you said, they have three guys who are ready to go running back. They each have over 100 carries and each have over 100 yards. Even so, it's almost like a a three headed monster just at that running back position. Yeah, and offensively, what Clawson does is almost similar to, to Paul Johnson. They try to possess the football, um, take shots when they can and move down the field, play field position. Um, they have a punter named Don Maggio who's, who's pretty decent, um, can make some plays. So they try to kind of get you pinned back. They let their defense 
do their thing and then they try to get the ball around midfield and then try to strike and <clears throat> it's worked pretty well i mean they gave florida state all they could handle mm-hmm. they gave um you know clemson a, pr- a pretty good game you know it's it's kind of hard to tell where clemson is right now uh because of kelly bryant's situation and their right. offense just hasn't quite looked right this year but so what's the status on him do you know I'm not sure. I haven't. I don't think they're saying anything this week since they they're on a bye this week. Um, just like Wake Forest had last week, uh, humorously enough. And Miami was supposed to have ten days before they played Georgia Tech. They were gonna have three games in a row where the team facing them had extended preparation in the original scheduling of these games. Right. Uh-huh. One of uh, Paul Johnson's favorite uh, things to complain about, and rightfully so. I mean. If you give anyone an extra week, I don't care what kind of offense you run, um, it's good or defense. It makes a difference because it gives your guys more time to prepare, more time to come up with ideas, and exactly. implement things to, to counteract whatever it is that you do. And three games in a row, that, I mean, that's just kind of unacceptable. No, and it's it's pretty much statistically improbable. So um, it's frustrating that 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 came up like that, but. You know, all in all, I think going into this game, um, you know, I look for the Georgia Tech to try and establish a little bit more of a, uh, an inside running game again with, with Taekwon and whoever's a B-back, whether it's Cervante or Quaid or, or Jerry Howard. And mm-hmm. then last week we saw, kind of saw the first emergence of, of the A-backs this year in the running game. They've kind of yeah, been yeah. schemed out up until this point. And yeah, we talked about up. that. We talked about that before uh, before that game, actually. We talked about getting the A-backs more involved and how it would help with the turnovers, and it certainly did. Yeah, I, th- I think so, yeah. yeah. Um, essentially, uh, the way you kind of look at it is they they made these plays, they allowed Georgia Tech, they tried to bottle up the inside with Cervante and, and take one and force action outside Paul Johnson kind of countered basically the safety motion and they were able to get some nice plays to the A-backs and then Miami switched what they were doing at halftime and they really couldn't figure out kind of anything that would work given the weather conditions so mm-hmm. it's going to be interesting to see what uh, what happens for uh, Georgia Tech coming up in this game and how a team that hasn't really faced uh Georgia Tech style offense. Now they faced Army and some other schools in the past. The defensive coordinator, though, he was at Minnesota. I'd have to go back and look and see where, if any of these schools he's faced recently, because he may have a little bit of a different strategy. They've had pretty significant staff changes over the last years. Yeah. Some of Dave Clawson's guys got poached, uh, particularly his defensive coordinator, Mike Elko, went to Notre Dame, uh, who was kind of with his side throughout his whole rise from Bowling Green up to through Wake Forest. Mm-hmm. So it, it, I, to me, I want to see – I hate to I hate to compare Paul Johnson to Brian Gregory, but, I mean, last week just brought back some flashbacks of times where you play kind of – I mean, obviously basketball is a lot different sport than football, but it seemed as if we were playing for a tie rather than for the win. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying there. I think that um... – there was some conservativeness with what was going on. There was also a lot of execution problems just from footing and a lot of other things. And I think that um, it'll be interesting to see where they 
kind of go with that going um, forward. And, you know, if Paul Johnson relaxes a little bit with his play calling and, and, and feels more comfortable trying things as the weather gets a little bit better, I think really over the next few weeks they should probably have better weather for the rest of these games. It may start being cold, um, but it'll be interesting to see kind of what happens from there. Mm-hmm, definitely. And, I, I mean, you just want to see you want to see him match the gas. I mean, just don't don't let up regardless of how how much you're in. I mean, a, a bunch of fans were complaining that you know the game doesn't end at halftime, and I mean that's just a, that it's, it's frustrating, but it, it's it's football. So we got a couple of questions on on jacketsonline.com. Uh, we had really late to ask him, but just thought it would be fun to to throw in a few, and we'll try to get it out there a little bit earlier for next week. Um, so someone asked if we can see the gold jerseys back. I, I am the last person in the world to, to have an opinion about your Like, I could really care less. If they came out wore literally all white with, like, black numbers. It wouldn't bother me. So, uh, Jared, do you have an opinion on the gold jerseys? I see. We saw the gold jerseys uh, last year in the Tax Slayer Bowl. I think they looked all right. But, they were the ones from like two years ago, though. They didn't actually get new jerseys. Exactly, just, exactly. And the thing about them is, or did they have the players' names on them either? They did not. Right. And, and I want to see, I want to see consistency in the gold, because with, with the gold jerseys, I mean, if we were to wear gold helmets with the gold jerseys, which I don't think we would do, but if we were, it's two completely different shades of gold, and it just doesn't look good. So I think until they can figure that situation out, which will probably be something that comes with Adidas in 2018. I, I think just just keep the gold jerseys in the locker room. Yeah, I think it's interesting. You know, the, if I were to have an opinion about the jerseys, the best ones I've seen are the blue ones that are in, on display in the outside of the recruiting office, and uh-huh. um, they've been on Twitter and stuff. For we'll maybe tweet it out. I'll tweet it back out tomorrow so people know what I'm talking about. But um, those are sharp. Like they look. Yeah, nice. I've always loved the blue jerseys. Yeah, Paul, really? Paul Johnson got a little gun shy with those because they lost a couple of bowl games wearing them, and then all right, of a sudden and we was, lost to Big Tech with them as well in 2015. That was a, another close game at Bobby Dot. Yeah, so I think that um, he he's kind of ducked away from it. But personally, I would like to see them return. I think that the blue, uh, if you're going to wear color jerseys, are the ones that are a little more eye-catching to me and. Like you said, the gold just always look like crap, and I don't know why. And I agree. I think with Paul Johnson, I mean that's probably that's probably you're, you'll get what you're gonna get. I don't think he cares too much either. I think uh, I think white jerseys is probably what you're gonna get ninety ninety five percent of the time with him. And actually, this weekend, Georgia Tech players were calling for a wideout again. So I'm not sure if we're gonna get on board with that. But I saw Corey Griffin and Trace Willing talking about making this weekend a wideout. Yeah, you know, that's fun when the players call for it, and hopefully they'll get the message out to the guys. I have no issue with them doing a whiteout. It's kind of weird because both schools have similar colors anyway, so it makes some right. sense. Yeah, to, definitely. To wear white so you differentiate yourself from navy and gold versus – or and don't, please don't send me emails about navy. and <laughs> Like, I could care less um, about that. But, yeah, whatever. Black and gold, which is Wake Forest, and Georgia Tech wears navy and gold, and whatever shade of gold, and the gold shades are all different. And <laughs> whereas a lot of other schools like Notre Dame and Wake Forest that wear gold can manage to to get a consistent gold. And 
having talked to Todd Stansberry extensively about this particular subject and hearing his thoughts on it, I know that's a top priority for him is to get all Georgia Tech fans to buy whatever the new gold is, to, to, to go shell out for some Adidas wear with the new gold. So uh, Definitely. And one thing I'm excited for with, with Adidas is as, far, as long as I've been around Georgia Tech sports, I've never really been able to find a jersey that looks anything like an in-game jersey. It always just kind of looks like the the really bad quality. I mean, it just it just doesn't look good. So you I think that's that's interesting you say that. My son, one year for Christmas from a family member, was given randomly a Georgia Tech jersey. It was a Zach Lasky jersey, actually, uh-huh. and it was from it was like the Sun Bowl one, and it looked just like it. Um, really, and that's the only one I've ever seen that was. Other than, like, the jerseys from, like, when Joe Hamilton was playing or something. Right. Like, those ones you see around the stadium, people wearing those exact, um, like, Joe Hamilton era Georgia Tech white jerseys with the the gold numbers on them. Uh-huh. I, th- I feel like the last time that I've been able to find I, – I, actually, I take it back. You could find some, some Justin Thomas jerseys back in 2014, 2013 maybe. You could find some pretty close-looking jerseys. But I, I truly feel like since then it's just it just doesn't look anything like it. So I'm excited to see if Adidas will will give the fans some nice looking jerseys. I feel like they had some Nesbit ones too when he was around, like and Dwyer. But those may have been old Calvin jerseys, like yeah, true for Dwyer that people were just recycling. Mm-hmm. All right, so another question was uh, this is from our friend Rob. Uh, impressions of the defensive line rotation going forward. Didn't one of the freshmen impress in the game? Uh, that would be Antoine Owens, the true freshman from uh, wherever he's from, uh, Tallahassee. He's from, he's from, yeah, he's from Florida. Um, Antoine, it's a, it's good a big kid. controversy about uh, what was Central Florida when he wasn't he committed there. He's committed to Central Florida. Yeah. South Florida and Georgia Tech were the two schools pushing for him. Mm-hmm. He wanted to go to Georgia Tech, came up here on his own dime several times, including to the spring game. Georgia Tech never really officially offered him until into the fall and then uh, got his commitment pretty quickly after that. They they kind of went really hard after him. And he's an interesting guy. I think he may end up starting next year at strong side end and then have St. Amore at the other defensive end. They'll go a little bit bigger if they can. He's playing some strong side end and a lot of defensive tackle, particularly in pass rush uh, right now for Georgia Tech. Yeah, they rotated a lot of guys on Saturday. I saw different points, Serge, uh, Glanton, uh, Brandon Adams, and Owens, and, um, and of course, Desmond Branch getting getting reps in there. So uh-huh. it was nice to see. I, it's something I've never seen in all my years covering Georgia Tech is them roll five guys a defensive tackle in a game and actually have and not and do it because of because of something other than injuries it was actually an intentional act and I, I was pretty impressed with what I saw from from those young guys and yeah I think Antoine and, and Bruce both look pretty good and yeah and you look at kind of what they're going to do going forward there's some real good options there Brandon Adams is a guy people think will play on Sundays um, Desmond Branch has some really nice pass rush ability inside mm-hmm. Brentavious Glenn's a guy who's just needed to be mean. That was what Ted Roof said about him. He wanted to see him be mean. Yeah, and he's, a big old boy. he's playing a lot better. Yeah, he's definitely a big old boy. I think he could definitely be 
a standout player in this coming year. So that'll be interesting. Um, another question is, uh, will Cravante Benson play? Is he okay? We need Benson. We need Benson, LOL. <laughs> um, we need him. You know, it looked like he tweaked his hamstring. That's something you got to be careful about uh, going forward. Um, I don't know how bad it is. It's hard to tell. They're very – with a guy of his status level – People are going to be a little tight-lipped, I, I, and if I knew anything, I probably couldn't talk about it at this point. <laughs> uh, maybe on game day, but um, not this far ahead, because that would probably cause some major scheme changes for Wake Forest if you know for sure he's not going to play. Yeah. So uh, hopeful that Cravante will be back this week, and if not, I think we could definitely see him for Clemson. Um, another question is, will Paul Johnson be fine for, for – complaining about the holding on the Miami offensive line. As truly offensive as I watch it now, it offended me. Um, <laughs> I doubt it'll get fined. No, I, I don't think so. It was pretty egregious. I mean, the one play that sticks out of my mind I mentioned earlier, Antoine Owens is running up the middle. I think it was the center. Grabs him under basically the collar of the front of mm-hmm. his shirt and throws him to the ground. Right, right in front of the ref, too. In front of the ref, and then the quarterback has enough time to throw – his long touchdown pass. Um, so that was pretty egregious. Um, it's uh, amazing to me that they struggle so hard getting calls like that. Um, you know, it would be funny to me if they did what guys used to do back in the day, which is when if an offensive lineman was holding you like that, you would use your knee or your fist to a certain area of his body to, to release the hold. Um, right. So maybe if they resort to that, the, then the referees will start calling it. Uh, then you start getting personal foul calls, and mm-hmm. that could get pretty interesting. Georgia Tech only had one penalty throughout that entire game, and I think, I mean, of course, they, I think they played a pretty clean game all in all. But I mean, one penalty for Georgia Tech, six for Miami. I mean, I think it could have definitely been in double digits had they called what should have been called. And Miami, of course, getting called for the legal block. Uh, for the legal cut on uh, downfield on one of the last pass plays, actually. That's what set up the fourth and ten um, yeah. at the end of the game there uh, yeah. on the miracle pass of the hit. Another question is, how are the offensive tackles doing? I think they need to get better, like now, but, God, I love them. <laughs> we all okay. love them. Um, <laughs> I like this person's questions. Uh, offensive tackle, it's not been the greatest thing in the world. You have... Will Bryan playing um, some just because they need a body out there and he knows how to play the position, but he's really prefers to play guard. Jazel Lee, who makes mental mistakes from time to time, but is probably the most consistent of the guys. And then you have Jake Stickler, who's kind of an average guy, but would be a backup if Andrew Marshall was healthy. And so that's kind of a tough spot there because you're sort of, you lost two guys last year to, to uh, attrition and Trey Clock and, and Eason Fermayan, who both had a year left of eligibility. And How's Eason doing? Did that NASCAR stuff work out? You know, it's funny you asked me that. Someone asked me the same thing the other day, and I do not know. Um, <laughs> I will ask around. Uh, to I hope it did. And see if he got picked up by somebody. I hope it did. But, um... How's Andrew? Are they are they meeting this week, him and Paul Johnson, to talk about his future? Because I know that he's graduating this year, so he'll have other options as well. 
Yeah, my feeling, knowing Andrew the way I do, having covered him for a long time, is that mm-hmm. um, he will not come back, uh, and that he's going to just go work and do something else with his. I mean, life. you you pitched the forty-year plan at Texas. I mean, you can't you can't fault the kid for doing that. He'll probably he'll probably have some good job offers soon. Well, and he's a pretty serious kid. Like he does a lot of internships and and was very focused on his career and, mm-hmm. and what he's doing and. Um, I think that uh, at the end of the day, you will see him um, probably not return to play another year. And that's fine. I mean, they weren't ex- they were recruiting with the idea that he would not be back anyways. So, uh, you know, they didn't know until he re-injured his foot a couple like two weeks ago that he wasn't going to be back. So it's not like this is some sort of huge change for recruiting or whatever for Georgia State. Right. And then uh, the last question is about linebackers and um, what's going on with the linebackers. And I guess kind of they're in a weird spire now. You lose Brant Mitchell. That was one of the other things, along with Cravante Benson's injury, that kind of changed the course of the game. Uh, Bruce Jordan Swilling comes in the game, struggles in the read option game. And apparently, according to Paul Johnson on Wednesday, there were some mistakes made in terms of uh, some assignments. And some of the time, Bruce was not screwing up by running the other direction. It was supposed to be covered by Vic or whoever the other linebacker is, was in with him. But, uh, you know, I mean, he's here's the truth about Bruce short swelling for people. I like Bruce a lot. He is a great kid. He is playing linebacker for the first time in his career right now. He was a running back in high school. He played a little bit of defense. He played a little bit in a, an all-star game and his whatever number of practices he's had at Georgia Tech over the last three and a half months. So it is amazing he's even able to get on the field and contribute right now at all. Um, in, they went to Trey Jackson. Trey did a little bit better job um, as a senior guy, but Trey's not as physically gifted as a Bruce Jordan Swilling. But I feel like in a game – against a team like Wake Forest, you could probably get away with Trey Jackson if you want. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what they do there. Victor Alexander has been better than I thought it, he would be. He's played a little bit better. Um, to me. He was one of my favorite guys coming out of high school. I mean, he, he, he looked like an outstanding player in high school. We were able to flip him from UCLA. So that was a big get for me coming out of high school. I thought he was going to be a great player, and he, he has played well this season. Yeah, and he's a guy that has tremendous ability. He's really sh- always struggled with um, advanced concepts and some of the pass coverage stuff, and he's getting better at that. I think if he can continue to, to develop there, I think that helps a lot. The kind of eventual successor, I think, is going to be T.D. Roof at that position. Mm-hmm. And I think going forward, long-term, you're going to see um, – Georgia Tech go back to some three linebacker stuff as Jaquan Henderson learns what to do. He's sort of in the same boat as as Bruce Jordan Swilling and that he struggles with a lot of the advanced stuff, uh, struggles with coverage right now. But they figured out a way to get him on the field. He comes in on some of the dime package stuff as a pass rusher, is incredibly athletic. He can run um, as well as anyone on the defense. And I'm kind of really excited in the future to see how they're able to use guys like Henderson and Jordan Swilling and, and TD. And I'm not sure guys. if I could see Bruce Jordan Swilling playing another position, truthfully. Well, I mean, he would have been hell of a be back. He would be starting right now, be back 
You're right. B-back would be his best fit outside of linebacker. I mean, he was – that was what Alabama wanted him as, a running back. I think he uh, is is probably a, a really talented guy at that. But he wants to play linebacker, and God bless him. That's what he wants to do. Hey, I'm all for you it. you got to respect it and let him try to do that. He obviously would pl- – and it's funny because he even told Coach Johnson when uh, Diedrich got let go that – you know, if they need him to do something, he would be willing to. But, you know, right. Coach Johnson did the right thing and trusted his other young guys. And I think that um, – He had four tackles and assisted on four more. So, he, he didn't have a lousy debut by any means. I think he could have a, a bright future at that spot. Yeah, and I think once he gets coached up and kind of knows what he's doing. And I think just having a, a full spring and another full fall will make a tremendous amount of difference for him. and how you can mix him into the game and maybe they can cross-train him to come in the game mm-hmm. between Bran and Vic and kind of use him as the third linebacker next year like they've been doing with Terrell Lewis some. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, uh, trying to think if there's anything else. All right, so, Jared, how do you see this playing out? Uh, you're talking about Saturday? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, the scenario, truthfully, it, it couldn't be much better for Wake Forest. Uh that being said, I, I think that I think that this year's team, as you touched on in the beginning of the podcast, I think that they're they're a hungry team. They know that they haven't their record, so to speak, isn't isn't doesn't really define how good of a team they really are. So I think that they'll be looking to prove that this Saturday. Hopefully, so uh, hopefully they'll get a big lead and and they'll be able to kind of grow instead of just kind of sitting back and allowing the team to come back. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think you're seeing, you're going to see a little bit of a mismatch, and uh, to me, I think that. Um, I think it'll be a lot like the Jacksonville State game. Truthfully, I think it'll be just like a maybe in the first half you might not see us come out as 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 fast as we might normally come out, but I think in the second half, you know, just our talent and our experience will start to wear theirs down, and I think we'll be able to. I, I'm honestly, if it was up to, I think we're favored by what six and a half right now. Yeah. I think I, I think I'll take the over. Yeah, no, I think they will cover. Um, Paul Johnson did a nice job of covering the spread uh, all this year, actually, with mm-hmm. this team. And yeah, to me, I, the way I look at it is, uh, I think Tech will win. You know, I, is the score important? Uh, probably not. I think that the main thing is just getting that ACC win. Yeah, getting the ACC win, getting out healthy if they can. Um, mm-hmm and getting ready for a really tough game at Clemson. And then, you know, it's kind of a tough stretch because you go from playing, you know, you go from playing at home against Wake Forest at night, then you travel to Clemson, you travel to Virginia, who's having a surprisingly good season. Right. And then you host Virginia Tech and then Duke, and then you wrap up the season with Georgia. I mean, we're already in the middle of the season. It's hard to imagine, but. Uh, it's amazing that you know we're already at the halfway point in the year, and it seems like it just got started. Yeah, and hopefully, I mean, this Saturday is a perfect, perfect scenario just for Tech fans to go out there and have a good time. Seven thirty kickoff at Bobby Dodd Stadium. You talked about it last week. It's just it's one of the best atmospheres you can get. So I, I hope that the team will, or the fans more so, will stay behind the team this week and go have a good time and, and cheer up on Saturday. Well, and I think the good part is it's homecoming, so you'll get a lot of the the students the students to come out that aren't always there, especially right. early on. So that'll be nice for 
It should be a nice crowd for the game. That would be great. That was the thing that kind of upset me during the North Carolina game was the student participation. But they they actually showed up in a in a pretty decent manner towards more so towards halftime. But I mean, like Georgia Tech's always you hear people talking about how running out behind the wreck is one of the most electric entrances in college football, which I think it is. But in order for like in order for it to be as electric as it can be, you have to have fans in the stadium, and that's something that we haven't necessarily had lately. So I, I hope that we'll be able to see that this week. With it being 7.30, I feel like it'll be a lot easier. And I think that the new games really just kill a lot of people. The, the crowd at Georgia Tech is um, mostly people that either have kids or are older. And right. It's just hard, and I talk to a lot of people. They travel from all over the country and, some, and the United States quite frankly, and even a couple of people from abroad to come in for games. And mm-hmm. it can be really difficult to get in and get set up. And if once you have kids and figuring all that stuff out, and as a parent, I totally understand how difficult that is. So, yeah, you, but the end of the day, I know it's more fun. I love on a bye week to sit at home and watch 12 football games and <laughs> not move. My wife's pretty amazed at how – how much I cannot move on a Saturday <laughs> if I'm not working uh, and college football's on. Hey, but, you deserve it, man. But, yeah, but at the end of the day, um, come out and support your team. I mean, if I had a team that I needed to, and I wasn't covering and I was a fan of some team, like, say, Georgia State, and they were home, I would be out there and support them if that was right. my team, you know? like. And like you said, I mean, it's it, – it, we're both kind of being positive about the game, but we—you never know. Wake Forest is a good team, so I think the more the more fan attendance we have, the louder the crowd can get. Well, that's one of the things Paul Johnson joked about. He said when he came into the league, you could look around the room and see who your wins were going to be every year. And he said now you look around the room and you're like, well, shoot, am I looking at myself now? Like exactly. You know, I mean, think about the coaching changes and the the way things have changed. I mean. Uh, when Paul Johnson started, I think that uh, the ACC coaches were – you had Bobby Bowden at the end of his career. You had Frank Beaver in the tail end of his good run. You had Freegen at Maryland, you, who was at the, about to be bounced out of there. I think Chuck Amato was at NC State when Paul got – or maybe just when Tom O'Brien got hired. Cutcliffe was just rebuilding a Duke team that had gone winless – Right. Um, Wake Forest had Jim Grobe, who did the best he could, but it's a tough job. Boston College went through their sort of backspin with um, Jeff Jagosinski and then uh, fr- this mustache guy whose name I can't even remember, <laughs> Frank something or other. Uh, and then, um, God, who else was in the league at that point? Um, I mean, long story short, there's just not, there every every team is a good team. The conference is well, deep. It was, Butch, it was Butch Davis and, and Terry Bowden. Terry yeah, Bowden yeah, yeah, got yeah. fired in the middle of the season, mm-hmm. and uh, Butch got succumbed to NCAA issues. And they hired Larry Fedora, and you hire you know Frank Beamer retires. You hire Justin Fuente, and even guys like and Steve Adazio does a nice job at Boston College. They don't win a lot of games. That's a hard place to recruit to. He's done a pretty nice job there. Yeah, definitely. Dave Doran's doing a decent job at NC State. Um, Dave Clawson's doing a hell of a job at Wake Forest. Duke is the best Duke has really ever been consistently over a period of time in their history. Absolutely. Um, 
So it's not your mama's in Maryland in the league anymore. And they replaced a lot of those teams and brought in Louisville and Pitt. And, and by, by the way, back then Miami was a train wreck too. You had Randy Shannon and uh, then Al Golden. So uh, to me, like the, the league's just way different. There's a, a different thing as I look around the room when I'm at ACC media days and you see Mark Richt and what he's accomplished and, and, you know, what Larry Fedora did last year at North Carolina and, you know, Dave Dorn, what they're doing there. And then, of course, Dabo and Jimbo Fisher are a mm-hmm. light They're building years. dynasties. Yeah, I mean, it is, you know, everybody else is playing checkers and they're playing chess in terms exactly. of building programs. So, to me, like, it's just a different animal than it was when, you know, George O'Leary was coaching. or And this is one of those fights I always get with uh, uh, people on Jackets Online. They talk about how great the ACC used to be. And I'm telling you, <laughs> ask Mac Brown. Mac Brown coached North Carolina. He talked about it on one of the broadcasts this year that I heard on a Friday night game. It was kind of crappy. I mean, <laughs> you had Florida State and then no one. And, you know, you would have one other team that would be good every year, like Georgia Tech or NC State. They all took turns kind of having their moment in the sun. And it was exactly. not the same. Now, I mean, Florida State's having a, a somewhat down year, but I still think we'll see them improve as the season goes by. And a lot of blame for that could be put on their quarterback being out. So, I mean, it's it, you got Clemson, who obviously is the defending national champs. you got Florida State, who's always a good team. NC State's a good team now. Louisville had a Heisman winner last year. I mean, it's just it's just a deep conference. Whether it's the Atlantic or the Coastal, you're gonna you're gonna have to play your best ball every week. Yeah, and that's where the consistency of something like what Paul Johnson does really helps you out. Absolutely, if you have a system, and that system works, and you recruit to that system and have depth, you can make a big difference. And I think that you're starting to see that. And Really, the ultimate thing, people talk about the defense looking better. One of the big things that's come out of this, and people don't realize it, is when they made that switch with Al Groh to the 3-4, they had years' worth of sort of mismatched recruits and linemen that didn't fit, and they've been recruiting the same system consistently now since 2012. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So you're starting to see those dividends. And staff stability during that time as well. Um, pretty much, they've made two coaching changes during that time, uh, uh, assistant-wise. So those guys get in, they build those relationships, and then you end up with Bruce Jordan Swelling or Jaquan Henderson or Brandon Adams or Antoine Owens or all these guys on defense that are are difference makers. TK Chimedza this year. Yeah, or yeah, like TK or. Um, no one expected us to get him. I know I didn't. And Austin Smith and, right. you know, going up and finding uh, – or going down and finding, you know, Jaquez Jackson or Justice Dingle up in Kentucky. So, um, you know, that's sort of the, the benefits of that stuff. I mean, you look at, like, Coach Andy McCollum, he's recruited the, – there's two four-star guys committed to Georgia Tech right now. Jalen King, the cornerback from uh, Ensworth, and um, Justin Single from Bowling Green, Kentucky. And mm-hmm. those are his guys. That's because he was a coach at Middle Tennessee. He's been at Georgia Tech since 2010 and has been sort of a stalwart recruiter on the staff. You get Bruce Jordan Swilling and Trey Swilling because of Ted Roof, you know, being so tight with Pat Swilling and 
given that opportunity. So, right. you know, those are those are the things that can make a difference at a place like Georgia Tech. It's not Miami. It's not Florida State. It's not Clemson where you just walk into your backyard and hang your hat out and you put your orange belt on and you go, hey, woo, come with us. It's, <laughs> and it'll be – there's some big names coming this weekend, right? I know Jatavius Harris will be there. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Um, I kind of stay away from getting into the – prediction of who shows up because usually by friday i actually know who's for real coming usually around this point of the week there's a few guys saying they're coming uh he's one they have an official visitor named um julius uh are you talking about the uh it's on official visit julius um the german one yeah um blanking out of his name but they have a German defensive end coming in for an official visit, which is kind of a cool thing. They're going to use the whole Adam Gotsis, uh background plan, which essentially is the same kind of kid. Um, so, yeah, it's a big weekend. Paul has not had an in-season official visit in probably a couple of years. So mm-hmm. it's unusual, but they were trying to get in. These kids uh, with, a, with a foreign-born kid that's enrolling early, like Julius says, you have to um, – there's visas and all this kind of stuff. So you have to get that done a little bit earlier. So that's why that kid's deciding actually next Wednesday on the 25th where he's going to school. So they had to squeeze the visit in now to get him in, to get a shot at him. It's uh, it's like Welshoff is his last name. Yeah, there you go. That's it. I was blank. I just completely blanked out on his name. I um, actually went back to your post about it on Jackets uh, Online to find it. <laughs> Out there, I guess we'll do a trace of you. I hope to see you all there then. Uh, for Jordan, for Jared, this is Good weekend, and hopefully, we'll come back next week to talk about a Georgia Tech one.